Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. All right, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. Welcome to what we commonly call around here, Ask Me Anything. So we've been doing a series involving seven words that we believe can transform your life. Thanks, yes, no, help, sorry, enough. And tonight we're going to use the word ask. And the reason we're asking you to actually ask questions is because of um, something that we hold as a deep conviction here at Christ the King. We actually believe that Christianity is supposed to be a conversation. We're actually supposed to talk back and forth. So sometimes uh, the, the preaching medium, which is actually a monologue, I mean, I stand up here and talk at you, uh, it works to a certain degree, but then at certain points it breaks down because we can't actually talk back and forth. So what we try to do is take the Bible very seriously because the Bible says, come, let us reason together. So every once in a while, we just kind of throw the sermon out. I have no prep. It's just me and my Bible. I don't know what's coming on the screen. And you get an opportunity to uh, watch me squirm, which is a lot of fun. And people often comment after these weekends and they'll ask me questions like, Grant, isn't it really scary to be alone up there? And I remind them, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I got my whole spiritual family here. Plus the whole Trinity shows up every single time we do this. And so I don't have a problem with doing that. We're going to try and be as honest as we can, but I am going to put a framework around it, okay? I'm not a scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not even a deep-thinking Bible scholar. I'm a pastor. So we're going to answer these questions as pastorally as we possibly can. I can't promise you that we're going to be comprehensive in our answers because there's just not enough time to be able to cover. And I'll, tell, I'll make you a basic deal. If I don't know the answer, I won't make one up. I'll just say, I don't know. And we'll go from there because I think authenticity and transparency is unbelievable. I also want to say this. 
if your question is texted in and it doesn't get answered, it doesn't mean it's not important. It just means we either ran out of time or we couldn't get to it. And so I want to encourage you as a way of using this. This is why we do small groups at Christ the King. It's a way of making a big church feel small. You can get into a spiritual family and actually ask the questions that may actually be better suited in a smaller environment than they are in a bigger environment. Okay? Awesome. Plus, I'll remind you, I'm a human being. If you cut me, I'll bleed. So be nice and let's do this together. All right? First question. Here it comes. Why do the people at Saturday service sit so far back? Because you're a bunch of rule breakers, that's why. Let me explain. I'm so glad someone asked this question. It makes me happy. So we used to put ropes up in the back sections to move you forward, because this is one of our smallest services, okay? We used to move you forward. And you bunch of rule breakers would hop over the ropes. Some of you would trip and fall getting over the ropes. You'd spill hot coffee on each other, and that was not good. So we took the ropes down, all right? And you spread out all over the room, because some of you are actually thinking it's quieter in the back corners. Can I tell you something? It's actually not. You want to know where it's quietest and clearest in our worship center? It's right up here in the front where I can hug you. So you should try something different sometime and move towards the front so I can actually see your smiling faces and I can interact. Because I can't see you in the back, but I can see Keith. How you doing, bro? Good to see you. Welcome back. You've been traveling. Good to have you back home from business. That's just fantastic. Brian, I brewed to see you. Hi, Boons. I can see you back there. Ron and Kathy, nice to see you. Thornton's over there. This is good. Awesome. Rick and Nancy, you move forward. I can actually talk to you. So, Jesus said move forward. Okay, let's go to the next one. There's a verse somewhere, I'm pretty sure. All right. What is communion and who can partake? Oh, great question. That's good. I like that. So communion is actually communing with God, and it's done through a beautiful, uh, a beautiful, I guess you could call it a symbol of a, of a very real account that happened in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, multiple places in Scripture, talk about the Last Supper, when Jesus met with those that he loved the most, his disciples. And the Bible says after they shared a meal together, which is why Christians like eating all the time, just saying, okay? After dinner, Jesus took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And every time you take it, you remember me. And the disciples were like, what are you talking about a broken body? They didn't like it when Jesus talked about the fact he was going to Jerusalem to die on a cross for the sins of the world. The Bible also says after supper, he took a cup and when he had blessed it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant, none of us could fulfill. We just aren't good enough. Our good's not good enough. In the new covenant, it's not what we've done for God. It's what Jesus did for us and on our behalf. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And every time you drink it, you remember me. So communion is a remembrance of that. We are taking Jesus seriously when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Who can partake? The Bible says that we're to examine ourselves. And anyone who has a personal relationship with Christ is welcome to come to the communion table. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've never met a perfect person other than Jesus. And I see a lot of people often say, I can't come to communion because I've got stuff going on in my life. The Bible also says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've never met a sinner Jesus couldn't save. And Jesus' invitation is you bring all your garbage and you come to the table. 
You confess and you lay it down. We do communion a multiple of different ways. We do it often in the big room. We tried it a couple of weeks ago up in a separate room where you could just go quietly and be served communion and a whole bunch of people showed up and we went, oh, that's kind of cool. We always do it on Good Friday and we almost always do it the week before Christmas. Um, It's quite an undertaking to, to give communion to thousands of people. Um, but that's what it is. But I want to remind you of something. Uh, you don't need to be in church to do communion. Families, you can do this at your dinner table. I mean, grab some juice, grab some bread, and remember Jesus anytime that you want to. That is a beautiful remembrance. It was a simple thing. It was a conversational thing, and it's available to all of us all the time. I love it. Every once in a while, I'm the pastor on call around here, and somebody will walk in the door and say, I just need communion. And I go and find a cup and a cracker, and we share communion together. It's a beautiful thing. So it's simple, it's relational, and it's a way of remembering Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. Okay, awesome. Good question. Next one. I'm a 15-year-old CTK goer. I love that. Been struggling lately. How do I know God is real? When did that confirmation happen for you and how can I know? First of all, I love the fact there's a 15-year-old here. It just makes me happy Um, because I'm a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for years and then they stuck me with a bunch of adults. So you guys have been stuck with me ever since. I love middle school and high school kids, I tell you. They're just so honest and straight up. I love, I, love, I love that generation of church. I've been struggling lately. Can I say something to you? So have all the rest of us. We all struggle. We all have questions about God. Because there are times when I'll be honest with you, I'm a pastor. I do this for a living. I don't see him and I don't feel him. But I want you to know something. Here's what I've learned. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. The time from the prophets to to the very first incarnation, which we're going to start celebrating here, there were 400 years of silence. God didn't say a word. So that when he spoke, his people would sit up and go, okay, we know that voice right there. So for me... um, The confirmation happened for me when God saved my life. He literally saved my life. I was gonna take my life because I thought the world, I listened to the lie of the devil that the world would be a better place without me. And God stepped in and said, no, you don't. He gave me life. He gave me breath. I'm thankful for the second chance. Now, I will say this. That was a big thing, but there are little confirmations every single day. And it's not just always in when God answers a prayer for me, even though I love it when he does. There are little confirmations along the way. The last time we didn't ask me anything, we had a question about suicide. I shared about that. And afterwards, I walked into the commons and there was a young man standing there and he, and he just about hugged the stuffing out of me. He said, I needed to know that God was real. I texted him my question and my way of testing him was to find out whether or not you would answer it. God doesn't always work that way. But sometimes he shows up in those little answers. He shows up in those little moments. Um, The confirmation for me is happening right now because this is God's family and and you could have been anywhere tonight and you all showed up. 
to worship Jesus and to bring him into the center. So I can't tell you what your confirmation would be. I would say um, you may want to start by just looking around. I can't explain wind to you just like I can't explain the Holy Spirit, but I can feel him. I can feel him when he's close, when he's touching, when he's intimate, when he's there in that moment. When you cry out to him and you just know that he is somehow there. So I would say the confirmations come one time. And, and how can you know? You know, the bottom line is I'm not sure you can 100% know that's where faith comes in. I choose to believe every single day that God is in heaven, that he loves me and he has a purpose and plan for my life. He confirms that over and over again. I'll be honest with you. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I just don't, okay? I believe with everything in me that God is who he says he is. And I don't know who you are, but I will put you in my prayer journal and I'm gonna pray that God keeps tapping you on the shoulder until you go, okay, I finally get it. And if you're here in the service, I'd love to chat with you afterwards. Maybe we could pray together. That would be awesome. Okay, awesome. Next question. Do I have a Christian obligation to vote? <laughs> I knew it was going to show up sooner or later. Okay. Uh, so let me answer this from a couple of different perspectives. First of all, um, Matthew 22, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God's what is God's. Okay. So there is a dividing line there, but we are supposed to. It's actually an implicit command, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And there is a responsibility or an obligation that I believe we have to allow our voice to be heard. So my Christianity and, and, my, and my need to be involved in a process actually get to marry up in this idea. Now, um, I put this on my Facebook this past week. Uh, so I actually, I'm a naturalized citizen of the United States. I had to go through a process, take a test, pass a test in order to be able to exercise the vote that most of you came to naturally just because you were born here. I had to work really hard. And it took me 10 years to get the whole process done. So when my ballot arrives in the mailbox, I hear Jesus's words, render to Caesar what's Caesar. So there's an obligation there. I also hear Romans 13 which talks about being subject to the governing authorities. And I would say, if you actually want to be a part of speaking into who those governing authorities are, you have something in this country that I think we take for granted way too often. You have an opportunity to actually use your voice. When I travel around the world and talk to other CTKers, they don't have that. They are oppressed, they're pressed down, especially if they do what you do are doing here tonight. So you have an opportunity to use your freedom to actually be a part of a process. I think if you don't participate in the process, you give up your right to complain. That's just me, okay? So you actually get an opportunity to step in. And so do you have an obligation, a Christian obligation? I'm not sure I would call it Christian. I think you have a, a, there's a responsibility that each one of us have in order to do that. And because God said I can be a part of that and utilize that freedom, then I would say... Um, it would be really, really important for us to do. Now, I think there's a different question that needs to go with this, and that's the how. I'm not ever going to tell you who to vote for. I don't care, honestly, who you vote for. I do care how you vote because my Bible says there are certain requirements that God has laid out in his word that are 
Important for all of us to know. More important than knowing your candidate's platform, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, Have you spent some time figuring out God's platform? Do you know what is spoken to in this Bible with regards to issues today? Do you look at the values that God laid out for you before you even talk about attaching them to a human being? Have you thoroughly walked through and understand what God's perspective may be? Because I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote on issues based on, on a kingdom perspective. So how we vote is important. I mean, I, I, this is why we do this thing called church, right? I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm trying to allow the word of God to teach us all how to think, to know God loves life. He said, choose life in here. What does that mean? How does that live itself out? God said, we're supposed to exercise dominion and steward the planet. How does that work itself out in here? The Bible says that, that, that we're, supposed to, we're supposed to come against evil. What does that look like? How does that mean? And so we start here and then we develop our opinions based on God's word. Sometimes we get that backwards, don't we? I got an opinion. Really? Is it biblical? Can you find where God actually says that's the way that it's supposed to be? So um, I'd encourage all of you to exercise your opportunity for freedom. It's coming up in a couple of days. If you don't know that, you haven't checked your mailbox or watched television at all over the last month. And I'm excited for us to start saving the trees again after we stop filling my mailbox with all this stuff that just keeps coming and coming and coming. The Bible also says that we're supposed to pray for the leaders. I think anyone who is willing to actually do public service deserves at the very least our support and also our respect because it's an unbelievably thankless job and I think we have a duty to encourage those who are willing to even step up and try and lead in this crazy world. Okay, awesome. There's my thoughts. You don't like it, write me a letter. Make sure you sign it at the bottom. All right, okay, so. Is this your real phone number? Can we ask you anything anytime? (laughs) No, it's not my real phone number. I'm not actually getting the questions. It's a number that was set up so we could facilitate evenings like that. This is my phone, and I don't give out my phone number very often or I would never have a chance to do anything else. And uh, my wife has my number, and if you can get, a, get it out of her, I'll answer any question you have anytime, and good luck with that. So, okay, all right, so it's not my real phone number. Okay, next question. Without compromising biblically, how do I parent a teacher, who, a teenager who's questioning their sexuality? Boy, I get this a lot. I get this a lot. And so I would say this. I believe that you can hold in tension as a parent a biblical conviction while loving your kid no matter what. Okay? Uh, If my son murdered someone, did something horrible and unthinkable, it would still be my kid, no matter what, right? And I don't mean to try and qualify something over here in the, in the case of, of like murder and killing. Okay, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say is that my role as a father is to love my children. Even though I may not agree with the decisions that they're making, I think the fact that they're asking questions is unbelievably important. And I think God puts you there to help them answer those questions. 
And you can't answer those questions if somehow you unplug from the relationship and, and alienate them. I don't think that's right. My Bible says that, that those of you that are pursuing righteousness, if someone, if someone falls into a sin, and I know that's a hard word, but the Bible says we're actually supposed to move towards and restore them gently. We never get to ungentle ourselves as Christians. And so I think, I think it's wonderful that they're questioning. I would say that you need to move closer to them in order to be able to answer some of those questions. And I think you can do that without compromising biblically, biblically because Jesus had a way of loving people even though some of them were making decisions that he wasn't crazy about. I mean, I am unbelievably consoled with the idea that Judas was in Jesus' small group. You get that? It just, it helps me understand that, that people, no matter how close, are going to struggle at different times. And so you can hold to your biblical convictions, you wrap those in love, and you keep the conversation going. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you don't keep the conversation going, the world most certainly will. And they'll fill in the blanks and they'll tell them exactly what they want to hear, and they'll ask a whole other set of questions, and I'm going to remind you that's, have the conversation that God created for you to have, and don't give that conversation to somebody else. I see so many families who settle into this silence and think that they're doing okay with that. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. You press in, you love deeply, you stay close, and even if you can't condone what they're doing, you can still stand with them in the midst of a difficult, difficult thing. I mean, they're fighting for their soul. What good does it do if you step away? So I would encourage you to step closer. And you struggle in the conversation with them while bringing what Jesus brought to tough situations, grace and truth. He brought both. The same God who talked forgiveness also said, go and sin no more. And we have to hold both of those in tension, and it's difficult, but it's the most loving thing that anyone can possibly do. So, um, the question here is you love them and walk through the questions with them. All right? While holding to biblical eternal truth, because that's the one thing we are going to answer to Jesus for. All right? Okay. Next question. If you preach on Saturdays and Sundays, what's your Sabbath? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's fairly relevant. So uh, my Sabbath with my wife is Friday. So that's a day when Laurel and I cease to work and we Sabbath. Um, the, word, the root word uh, of Hebrew, for the Hebrew word Sabbath actually means to savor like to stop and actually taste something that's good. And so uh, we try to actually do that. Fridays are that day. I'm actually doing something different. Um, and I'll tell you about it because it's not a secret. It just is what it is. So I grew up for like 29 years as a pastor, only taking a single day off a week. I don't know exactly where I learned that from. It's just what pastors did. You worked six days a week, you took one day off, and then you went back to work again. 
When I came back off of, set, uh, off of um, our sabbatical this time, Laurel and I sat down together and said, we've got to do life different because we can't keep repeating the same cycle of exhaustion and burnout. It's just not right. Um, for those of you who don't know, my wife has a visual disability. So one day off is usually spent doing errands and house stuff and all the rest of it because Laurel can't drive anymore. And so I'm her chauffeur and her guide dog. And I love both of those roles, just so we're clear. Um, so we made a decision when we came back that we were going to try and do something different. I grew up um, thinking this to be true, speed of the leader, speed of the team. And I always thought I'm going to outwork every single person in the building so they can set the pace and they got to keep up. They've changed that. I think health of the leader equals health of the team. So Laurel and I made a commitment that for the first time in almost 30 years, we were going to take two days off a week, one day for doing life and another day to rest. And um, it means I'm working five longer days, but I'm actually trying to model something, especially for the young pastors here at Christ the King, that you can pastor and have a life at the same time. So um, if you can't find me on Thursdays and Fridays, it's because I'm doing my best to love my wife, love my family, be faithful and model what a Sabbath is supposed to look like. And I thank you for both your understanding and your support in that. I appreciate it very much. So, okay. I was raised to believe every Christ follower is a member of the church. Is there another purpose for becoming a formal member and taking the membership class? Ah, I told you, I didn't see these ahead of time. So like, okay. Um, I think you would have a hard time arguing the case that membership uh, is, is a biblical concept. Um, if you go back to Acts chapter two, there was a family, they needed each other because uh, the government was trying to kill them. That tends to bring groups together pretty quickly. Um, so when it comes to membership, I think you'd have a hard time making a biblical case for that. But the Bible does say that we are a family. It also says we are the body of Christ and each part is supposed to do its part in coming together. So one of the ways that we do that is by asking you not to become a member around Christ the King. We ask you to, ask you to become an owner. We call them ownership classes. An owner is a person who comes to this church who fulfills one of six core commitments, and they all have to do with serving and loving and walking alongside of each other and making sure that this place continues to operate. You commit to those six core commitments, and that gives you a vote, okay? And uh, at, the, at the congregational meeting once a year, we often bring people forward for you to affirm. We talk about the budget. We talk about finances. We talk about church planting. We talk about all the stuff that we're doing out there with the CTK blessing. And if you're a member, you actually get to, to vote and go thumbs up, thumbs down, like this, don't like that. And so for us, everyone here that knows Jesus is a part of the church universal, and we're family. If you want to choose to be a part of this particular expression of God's family and to actually have your voice matter, we would invite you to take an ownership class. I think the next ones are coming in January. And it's just a more, it's a formal relationship where you get to hold us accountable for the things that we're doing and we get to have family conversation about stuff that really, really matters. And so that's something for you to pray about. If you choose to never become a member, it does not mean you cannot come here. In fact, that would be really lonely for me, so you should stay. That would be cool. But if you'd like to take a step forward and be more informed and know what's going on and be a part of the decisions, then we invite you to take one of our ownership classes and to come along and formalize that part of you uh, in becoming part of the family.
we'd love to have you. Okay? Awesome. All right, we got a few minutes left. All right. How do you keep your faith when nothing is going right? Wow, that's a good question. I'll put, it, I'll put this frame around it. Um, I tried life without faith when nothing was going right and it did not work out very good for me. I ended up dangling on the edge of my own decision to live or to die. Um, Everyone goes through seasons when nothing is going right. Honestly, the only thing that's right in my world at times is Jesus himself. And he just keeps calling me back. And there are times when it feels like nothing is going right at all. And, and, and what keeps my faith alive in those moments is God's track record. Earlier tonight, we sang a song, Do It Again. If you're praying for a miracle now, the reason you're doing that is because God did a miracle once, and now you're praying that he's going to be faithful. The Bible says, great is his faithfulness, his mercies are new every single morning. So every single day, I remind myself, God is who he says he is. God is in control, even when it doesn't appear like, it, it is, like he is. And that I can do life without him. He's given me that opportunity and that choice to do life without him. I choose to do life with him. Now, I'm going to say this. The disciplines that you put in place when life is going right will serve you incredibly well when life is not going right. So I have basic disciplines that I use whether life is going phenomenal or whether life is going horrible. My basic disciplines are, are worship, you ever see me driving into work, I'll either be singing or talking out loud. I'm not crazy. I'm trying to stay alive. So I sing songs at the top of my lungs in my little Hyundai Tucson. I, I start every morning with an, a, an act of gratitude, and I thank God for everything that I can think of from beginning to end. And when I run out of stuff, I take a breath, and then I thank him for more. I do a quiet time every single day with my Bible, not for sermon prep, but my Bible so that God can talk to me because that's how he whispers. And I run. If you ever need to find me sometime, I'm probably somewhere between my house and the Pangborn Road because it's two and a half miles out and it's two and a half miles back. On my way out on my run every day, I moan and whine and complain and tell God how unfair life is. And sometimes I even complain about you, to be honest. Um, and, and I just let my frustrations go. And when I touch the sign at the Pangborn Road and turn around to run back, I run in complete silence. I don't run in with earbuds and I just listen to what God says. And he talks to me. I don't know what kind of running shoes he wears, but he runs with me. And we have a conversation, just friend to friend. And he encourages me and tells me to keep going. Years ago, I had an experience where I was on a bike on Whidbey Island. It happened while I was on one of my sabbaticals. Jesus also rides bikes, just so you know. He runs and rides bikes. Write it down. Um, and I was having a really, really, really hard time. I was in a, a a deep season where it felt like nothing was going right. And some of you will remember this from five, seven years ago. I was riding on my bike and Jesus fell in beside me 
And I was so angry and so frustrated. And I remember what I said to him. I said, I want my wife to see. And he said, I want the same thing. I want Laurel to see. And I want my wife, God's bride, to see. I can't promise that God will show up for you that way, but I do know this. If, if you listen, he'll talk. And sometimes you got to get really, 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 really quiet. So I keep my faith alive by keeping my disciplines going when life is good so that when life is horrible, I can hear all the promises that he said. Because God promised me he'd never leave me. God promised me there was no question I couldn't ask that he didn't have an answer for. He said that he would always be right by my side. He said that he loved me so much he'd lay down his life for me and I hold on to those promises, especially when life is really, really tough. Okay. Uh, what do we got? Time for one more? Let's go one more. Final question. Okay. Without sending the wrong message, how do I show love to someone who's done awful things to my family? So we talked about this in uh, uh, week number, I think it was week number five with the word sorry, right? Um, I think this question would, it would my answer would, would, would change depending on whether or not they were, they were repentant or not. Uh, let's pretend they're not. Okay, let's just pretend they're out there. They did horrible things to your family. Now you're trying to figure out what to do. My Bible says this, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So you forgiving them, whether or not they ask you or not, is really not the point. Because I'll promise you, like we talked about during that particular message, if you don't forgive, you put yourself in prison. You, 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 you walk into the prison of bitterness, you lock the door behind yourself and you stay there. And the only way out is to actually forgive them, whether or not they've asked you to or not. Now, I know there's a biblical precedent for that because I wasn't geographically or physically at the cross, but Jesus said these words over me and over all of us, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we can act in the same way. We can forgive because God forgave us release someone. That's really what forgiveness is. It's releasing someone from your judgment into God's judgment. And you trust that God's going to be, that God's going to be fair, that he's going to exact justice. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know why he said that? Because we're horrible with vengeance. It just doesn't go good for any of us. So when I forgive, I release someone from judgment I take my hands off and say, I will not seek revenge. I'm going to leave that to God's good care. And I'm going to trust that God is a God of both grace and truth. My Bible says evil will not go unpunished. But I'm not the one that needs to exact the punishment. How could I when I've gotten nothing from God but grace? I know what I deserved. It wasn't grace wasn't mercy, wasn't forgiveness. That's what God offered. How can I call myself a follower of Jesus and do anything less? 
Now I'm going uh, to remind you of something that came out of the message. It does not mean you need to have any kind of relationship with that person at all. It may not be safe for you to have a relationship with that person. You may not have to have anything to do with them for the rest of their life, but you can still forgive and release that judgment. It doesn't mean that you will ever be able to reconcile with them. I don't know. Forgiveness, in fact, I'd encourage you to go back. Forgiveness is, it, it's not forgetting. It's not condoning. It's not pretending that it didn't hurt. I mean, forgiveness is all, there's a lot of things it's not. Forgiveness is releasing from judgment without being asked. Honestly, if you are asked, that's a bonus. Forgiveness is releasing from judgment, allowing that person to go free, trusting God to balance the scales, and not repeating the mistakes of the past with your family because you get to do it different. I think I remember saying this. What happened to you need not define you, but it could refine you. So I know it's hard and I know it hurts, but what Jesus did for you, you could do for them and, and love and protect your family while you're doing it. Okay? All right. So it's 7.04. I'm tired. We're done. And I get to do it two more times. So um, I want you to know Every time we do one of these, we take all three services and we put them together into one big uh, uh, media deal on ctk.church. So if you want to find out what questions get asked tomorrow or uh, at the 9.30 or the 11.15 service, you can actually go and check that out. Thank you so much for having a conversation. I appreciate that. If you need prayer for anything afterwards, the prayer team will be up here at the front. Pastor Brian Barron said something incredible last week. He said, you don't need to come for prayer because there's something wrong. Maybe you can come forward because there's something right. And there's nothing more right than fellow followers of Jesus coming and asking somebody else in the family to pray for them. So if you ever need prayer for anything, we'll stand up here every single week and wait for you. I appreciate your prayers and your patience tonight. Would you pray with me before we close? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for honest conversation. God, I pray for those uh, for whom these questions are not theory, they're reality. So God, right now, I pray for the family whose child is, is just asking really deep questions. God, I pray that they would have the heart of Christ and that they would hold both grace and truth right now in their family. God, I pray for the person who feels like nothing's going right. God, I thank you that you are described in Scripture as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I thank you that we have a high priest, as Hebrew says, that can sympathize with our weakness. God, I pray that the person who feels like nothing's going right, I pray that tonight the fact that their question may have been answered would be a sign that, that something is actually right and that God is noticing. Lord, we did you take all of my brothers and sisters, help us to walk faithfully this week. Lord, your word says that we're to be prepared with an answer. So God, would you give us an opportunity to speak of the greatest answer of all this week, the name of Jesus, we pray these things in your name. And all God's people said,
Good to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here at CTK. And we've been doing a series called Seven Words That We Believe Can Transform Your Life. Thanks, yes, no, help, sorry, enough. And today we're going to use the word ask. And you're going to have an opportunity, if you want to, to text in uh, a live question. And I have no prep. It's just me and my Bible. Somebody said the other night, uh, Grant, it must be really lonely up there when you do these things. It's just you all by yourself. I'm like, yeah, not really whole trinity shows up every single time we do this. So I'm in good company, plus I got my whole family here, so that's great. Um, Here's why we do this. We believe Christianity is a conversation. We believe we're supposed to talk, and I often question whether or not preaching, which is a monologue, is the best way of actually engaging that kind of conversation. So every once in a while, we do an Ask Me Anything weekend, and we turn it into a dialogue. So we actually get a chance to talk back and forth, which is my preferred way of communicating anyway, and so glad that you're able to be with us. I want you to give you just kind of a frame to this whole thing. So just so you know, um, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a therapist. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a deep biblical scholar. Um, I'm just a regular guy that loves to pastor people. And so I'm going to put a pastoral frame around these. There's no way we can be conclusive or exhaustive when it comes to some of these questions. So I'm going to do the best I can. And hopefully you have an opportunity to exercise grace today, which is always uh, very much appreciated. But I also want you to know this. If you text in a question and it doesn't get answered, it doesn't mean it's not important. It just means we have such a volume of questions. They come in like it's unbelievable. Like we did one like 50 questions plus last night, we made it, I think we got through six or seven of them in the time that we had. And so that's why we do small groups at Christ the King. You can be in a small community where you can bring that question and talk about it with friends. Um, And so I just want to encourage you, just because you don't get your question answered doesn't mean it's not important. I think God gave you the question, you should ask it. And that would be important. Okay. So I have no idea what's going to pop up on the screen. This is where it gets a little crazy around here, and uh, appreciate you being here. And if you're a praying person, now would be a good time to start. Okay, all right. Here's the number, 360-285-3560. Wow. Um... Okay, Saturday night, a long time ago, we're recording live for Ferndale because we were doing a video at the time, and I was using an illustration of uh, super push-ups. Do you know what those are? It's a late-night infomercial. They were these black plastic things that you would rotate your wrists with and do super push-ups, and I was using that as an illustration, and what I wanted to say was... Big black plastic discs. (laughs) And I missed one S. And I put my head down and tried to power right through it. I mean, I was not going to back off. And the whole group turned into a group of fifth grade boys. And they started laughing. And finally, I said, turn the cameras off. We're not sending that to Ferndale. What came out of my mouth sounded like tongues. I should have had an interpreter at that moment. Um, And everybody was red in the face and embarrassed. And I said to them, I said, you guys think I'm embarrassed because of what just came out of my mouth. And I'm not. I said, I'm embarrassed because my mom's in the second row. (laughs) And she didn't even know I knew that word. So anyway, there it is. Uh, moment of transparency. 
please give me a theology question next. Okay. Um, oh, there we go. How can I tell if a religious group is a cult? Great question. Okay. So I would say that there are basically three, three questions that every one of us should ask about any group that claims to be authoritative. Question number one, who is Jesus? Okay. Who is Jesus will define for you whether or not that group is is cultish in their approach to this or whether or not they are biblical in their approach because Jesus should be both son of God and God the son. That is very, very important. So fully man, but fully deity, God completely. Um, So who is Jesus? Secondly, what's your authority? If there's a book in addition to the Bible, you're going the wrong direction, okay? This is our final authority. It's the only book that we use We use supplemental text for studying this book, but that's it. So what's your final authority? I would encourage you, if it's any book outside of the Holy Scriptures in their original language, then I would say you're probably going the wrong direction. Uh, Question number three would be, how do I get to heaven? If it involves anything with regards to works or allying yourself with a specific human being, or saying that person is an extension thereof of Jesus, then I think you're going down the wrong, wrong path. So who is Jesus? What's your final authority? How do I get to heaven? Let let me answer those questions for us. Who is Jesus? Jesus was more than a great moral teacher. We believe Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son. He was exactly who He said He was. He did miracles in order to confirm His deity to us. He came to this earth to die for sinners. He, he, he was actually buried and was dead. He was resurrected on the third day and has ascended into heaven where He is now mediating and advocating for us at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is our, He's, a, he's the only song we have. It's the only song we're going to sing. It's the greatest name of all. You were singing it at the top of your lungs when I walked out here. I thought that was fantastic. What's our final authority? It's the holy word of God without question, even the parts that make us really, really uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with. How do we get to heaven? That is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That's our story. That's completely. You don't follow me. I'm not ever going to ask you to sign your house over to the church, okay? We follow Jesus and Jesus only. Humans will disappoint us. That's why we get our eyes above human communicators and we get our eyes up. Um, and if I, ever contra- if I ever contradict Jesus, you can fire me because it's his word that matters for all of eternity, all the time. That's what actually makes us a church. So we put his name on the front of the building, Christ the King, because that's what this is all about. Okay, so there's questions. That's a good question. Thank you for asking. That, that's awesome. Okay, let's do another one. Here we go. What translation of the Bible should I study? Study NIV, King James, New Living Translation, etc. Um, there are different translations for different ways. So the two different schools of thought here. Uh, the NIV was translated phrase by phrase. Okay, my preference, if you ask me what I use, I like to study from the NIV 1984 edition. That's my, that's my preference. It's the one that I've gone to for years and years. They did an update to it. I'm not crazy about some of the decisions that they made with regards to translation. So NIV was phrase by phrase. New American Standard was word for word. One of the most difficult things when it comes to translation is that Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic they don't really get along with English very well, okay? So we have to be very, very careful. That's why when I study 
Praise God for Logos Bible Software. Thank you. And they also have their headquarters in Bellingham. I appreciate that. But it allows us to get into the original language so we can really understand what the words mean. So I use a different group. So I use my NIV for preaching. I use ESV, English Standard Version, for study. I use New American Standard for comparing and contrasting. And, and, and I enjoy the New Living Translation when it comes to a more modernized version. Um, I also like to consult the message every once in a while. Uh, Dr. Peterson, Dr. Eugene Peterson, who actually just passed away in the last couple of weeks, uh, was an incredible linguist, but one of his loving projects was to take scripture and try to contextualize it into modern language as best he could. There's no such thing as a perfect translation. That's why we've got to study in the original. Um, and so I would say you're never going to go wrong with NIV. You're never going to go wrong with ESV. I grew up with King James. I mean, I, I, I was an Awana kid that studied King James. I did all my verses in King James. And the reason I don't use King James is just because the language is very difficult for us to contextualize as a modern audience. And I think NIV is a great choice. So you can pick any one of those. That'd be great. Um, you can email me if you want a specific list. I can give them to you. But if you're asking me what mine is, this is my NIV 1984. It was a gift from my mom when I graduated from Bible college. It's my sword. We've had to rebind it um, once because it fell apart on me. I love it. It's got all my notes and scribbles inside of it. And so that's what I preach from and teach from every week. So, all right. That's good. Another question. I've been in an abusive marriage for 17 months. He's also struggling with addiction. How do I know when his sorries are real? How do I know whether to say yes or no to staying? Boy, I'm glad you're here. You may not be where it's safe, but this place is safe. How do I know when his sorries are real? When his sorries are transformed from I'm sorry to I was wrong, and he can tell you why. Because we have to bridge that gap. If you were here during the week when we talked about sorry, I said to our church family as boldly as I could, sorry's not good enough. We have to be willing to say I was wrong and tell the person why, because The word I'm sorry, if it's sincere, is followed by action. I I reminded you of a story that I told you about Laurel and I. You know, when when she said, Grant, I don't want your sorry anymore. I want you to change. So a real indication of change is when you specifically can see this person correcting their behavior. And it's more than just words. Words and actions have got to line up. Otherwise, you do have a right to question the sincerity. Um, How do I know whether to say yes or no to staying? Well, I'm going to tell you this. One of the questions I get often is, Grant, you know, biblical marriage, I'm supposed to stay in it and all this kind of stuff. And it's true. God wants us to be committed and faithful because he's committed and faithful. But I also know this. um, The second anyone raises their hand to you, the covenant's already been broken. Because that's not how a husband is supposed to act, ever. God would never want you to stay in harm's way for the sake of holding to something that's already been broken. Now, I'm not trying to make this easy. I think you remember in the Taboo series, we did a whole thing on on divorce. There is a regrettable permission in Scripture. 
but God would never want you to stay in an unsafe environment until it proves to be safe. And I, here's a normal follow-up question. How do I know when trust is, it is rebuilt and put that? I'll tell you, you know how you rebuild trust? You do the right thing for a really, 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 really long time. So, um, I tell you what, if you're here, I would love to introduce you um, to Pastor Wendy, who was up here before, because we, we can walk with you and help you. We want to be here for you. This is more important than just a question on a screen. Your life and your soul matters to us, and we want to make sure that you're safe. And so if you'd connect with one of us, one of the pastors, or one of the after-service prayer team, we would love to just walk alongside of you and make sure that we can, that we can, you don't need to do this alone. Okay? Actually, can we just pray for a second? God, thank you for honest questions. And I pray for our sister, whoever she is, that she would know that she is loved by you and that you can, that you can make it safe. God, help us to be a good family for her. And Lord, help her to know that she doesn't need to do this alone. God, I thank you that you are a loving father who would never want to see one of your daughters stay in an unsafe place. God, we also pray for her husband. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who can break addiction. So God, would you take him as low as he needs to go so that he would look up to you and hand it over once and for all. God, we pray for a miraculous transformation in this relationship. And God, may you help in the way that only you can. We hold them both to you and say, Jesus, please, would you be their Prince of Peace today? In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Okay. If we love God and are supposed to follow the Bible, why do you celebrate Halloween? Well, there's a hard left turn. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, okay, so we actually don't celebrate Halloween. We celebrate Christmas, incarnation of Jesus. That's a cool thing. We decorate and celebrate and do all kinds of crazy stuff and invite you to Christmas Eve and bring all your friends and we tell them a story about Jesus. Um, this year's Christmas is called Tell Me the Story Again. Amen. It's awesome. I'm so excited. Okay. Um, by the way, my wife and I decorated for Christmas last two days. We're totally <laughs> top to bottom. <laughs> November 1 to January 1, we're on. You don't like it? Too bad. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, which is fantastic. Uh, we're not interested in celebrating Halloween. We want to redeem Halloween. Let me tell you what redemption is. Redemption is when God takes something that people use for another reason, and he puts something beautiful over top of it. So about 60 of you, one of you set up right down the street from my house, set up a glow station so that kids could come get a glow bracelet, extra candy. I mean, they got, they got sugared up and they had an opportunity to interact with a Jesus follower. We do that because of, uh, we serve a God who's into redemption stories. God will take things that the world intended for one way 
and he'll change it and make it and use it for his cause. That's what we're trying to do with glow stations. We're trying to be a redemptive presence in the neighborhood because we believe Jesus likes to take things and move them. Uh, in the book of um, in Joseph's story, in Genesis, at the end of it, he says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And so we want to be actively a part of that. Um, where are my old man glasses here? Uh, Colossians chapter one. This is really good when you have a quiet time and then someone asks you a question and it was there this morning. This is cool. Um, Colossians chapter one, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So redemption is a God story where he takes something that was intended for dark and he turns a light on right in the center of it. So 60 of you took it seriously to turn a light on inside of your neighborhood. You loved kids. You had good, healthy interactions. And we hoped and prayed that they saw Jesus in you. Some of you, actually a lady named Sandy emailed me and said, this has been like one of her highlights was because of all these kids that showed up and she had an opportunity to interact with them at a level that she's never been able to do before. So thank you for doing that. So we're not celebrating Halloween. We're trying to redeem Halloween. And we'll redeem other parts of what is happening in culture as best we can because we think God just has a heart for that kind of stuff. He likes to take things that are a little off and make them right again. So we're going to be in the world but not of the world. And that's one of the ways that we actually get to do that. So we're not celebrating. We're in the redemption business around here. And I'm thankful because Jesus redeemed me from going the completely wrong direction. And I'm so thankful that he paid that price for me. All right? Amen? All right, cool. Awesome. Let's do another one. The church I was brought up in would not allow women to preach or become pastors. I was always told that women don't lead, they follow. What if a woman feels called to pastoral ministry? Well, let's go with the pastoral call. Um, the pastoral calling is something that you have to work out with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you this. If you run from that calling, you will be miserable for the rest of your life. Because that pastoral calling is rooted deeply inside of your soul and it's a piece of obedience for you. It's like I've been called to preach the word of God unapologetically. If you took that away from me, I would die. I would shrivel up completely. Um, so we have women pastors here at Christ the King Community Church. Pastor Melanie has actually been here longer than I have. Pastor Wendy, Pastor Angel. In fact, our newest pastor who was just confirmed in the last couple of weeks is Pastor, is pastor Julie Burleson. Julie, are you here in the room? Julie, where are you? Oh, there you are. You're in the back. Hi, Julie. Yeah, that's awesome. Julie has been a communicator at Ecclesia. She loves our young adult ministry. You've heard Pastor Angel's ministry from this platform. So we have a deep conviction that, that, that women can be called into pastoral ministry, and we love working together with our sisters in an incredibly deep and profound way. Pastor Wendy was up here. Pastor Wendy is our pastor of community outreach, and we have seen our community outreach expand in concentric circles I mean, she leads all of those ministries that reaches out into the community. That's a place of great influence and great authority, and we support that completely. So I'm going to say, if you feel called to pastoral ministry, I would love to connect you with one of them so they can tell you about their journey 
what they've been called to, how they exercise their ministry, and how we love to participate alongside of that. We think it's a beautiful expression of God's family. And so um, I would refer you to Galatians, Galatians 3.28. In him there is no barbarian or Scythian, male nor female. And so that's, that's there when it comes to pastors. Okay, there we go. All right. What do you tell someone praying for healing from cancer when it appears that healing is not God's plan for them? Well, I would say this. Um, the fact that you're praying is beautiful because God said that we're supposed to ask for the desire of our heart. And I think the desire is always for healing, right? Right? I love the story in scripture of the persistent widow. She just keeps knocking on the door. She just won't stop. She just bangs all night long till the judge finally comes and just says, okay, <laughs> I'm going to give you what you want. When I get to heaven someday, I'm a, I want to find that lady. I want to find that lady. And I think it would be fun if Jesus walked up to both of us and said, you guys kept me awake all night long. <laughs> Even though I don't sleep, you drove me nuts because you just kept persistently knocking. So, um, asking for that. When we pray for healing here, I always try to do it two ways. And it's not because I'm hedging. It's because I'm trying to be as open as I possibly can. We often pray, especially when we're doing elder prayer. God, we would pray for a miracle, but if you need to do it through medical, we believe you inspired all of that too. So medically or miraculously, God, we are asking, we're asking for the miracle. The Bible says that, um, that our days are numbered and only God knows that number. So that means until that final breath, we can keep praying and asking God for that miracle. And so there may be a moment when you feel like we have to start having those end of life conversations. Uh, I think honesty and truth and grace are important, but we don't want to be presumptuous because the truth is I don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. You don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. Nobody has a guarantee of tomorrow. The Bible says, ask and you will receive. So we ask for wisdom. We pray that God will give us an opportunity in order to be able to speak into that. Um, none of us know for sure what God's plan is, so we have to pray. And I think where we find peace is in praying God's will be done. That's what Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. And we can lovingly come alongside of someone and answer those questions. If you're in that place, I would encourage you to expand out the circle of wisdom. Um, I learned years ago from Pastor Bill Lurch. Bill was on staff with us at Emmanuel, and he specialized in what was known as palliative care and ministry. So he helped people at the end of their life navigate through the emotional journey with families. And, and he, he, here was the thing that I learned from Bill more than anything. Silence is beautiful and presence is perfect. Being with them and walking alongside of them quietly is the most beautiful gift that you can offer to someone who's heading towards the end of their life. So be there. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the, the things that, that people think that we need in order to make that adjustment. You just need to be sincere and pray with them that God's will will be done while also exercising boldness I've seen God heal cancer. Yeah. I've seen God touch. The, there are people in this room. I'm pointing towards 
A lady over here to my right who was supposed to have been gone a long time ago. How you doing, Bev? Good to see you. Glad that you're here. Jesus still heals, and we need to ask him for his will to be done. Okay? Thank you for asking that question. I love knowing you're out there caring. That's good. Okay. 1022, time for a few more. When someone asks me to prove that God is real, how am I supposed to answer? Okay. Um, Anybody want to take that one? We can just jump in together. I'll give you a microphone. Uh, There are uh, seven ontological arguments for the existence of God. Okay, and I could lay out all seven of the ontological arguments for you, um, and, and we and we could have those kinds of conversations where the gap comes all of the time is in this is in this area of faith. Okay, because the gap says science says this much, and you can go through the scientific arguments that are out there, the order of the universe. You can even use the fossil record to go back through the biblical accounts. There's so many streams that you can follow. You can follow uh, intellectual reason with regards to if there is a creation that therefore had to be a creator, and you can draw those lines back together again. We could talk young universe, old universe. We can talk metaphysics if you want to. You can get into all of that stuff, which is amazing good and wonderful, and you should actually do some study in that area so that you are solid in your belief. But we always come to this place of faith. So when someone asks me to prove that God is real, one of the ways that I like to respond is, can you prove to me that he's not? So let's, let's have an equal playing field when it comes to asking the question. And often it comes down to their feeling or the fact that they had an issue at some point. God didn't answer a prayer. Something bad happened and they didn't know where God was in the midst of this. And so I will walk with them in a very human way. I think it's very important for us to have to humanize these kinds of conversations because you can't quantify faith. It's impossible to quantify faith. Now, I can build my faith by understanding the various arguments that there are with regards to the existence of God. I mean, I look at the creation. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. So I love to study astronomy. I love to study the nature of the universe, how it's ordered, how it moves, how it shifts, because that that, that solidifies in me that there is a great creator who was doing his very best work and is continuing to do that. But ultimately, it comes down to a choice of faith, to believe or not believe. Now, here's where it gets interesting for people. So I I have a really, really good friend. Hope he comes at the 1115. He's an avowed atheist. He thinks I'm nuts. We have a fun, we have a fun relationship I and mean, we talk back and forth and all the rest of it. And, and I have used this phrase with him. I stole it from somebody else. I'm like, dude, here's just the bottom line. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to go there because I see the evidence of God everywhere I go. I see the evidence of God sitting in front of me right now. The fact that you're all here today is a miracle of God. His general grace has covered all of you. You're upright and taking nourishment today. That's a miracle. And so I look at that particular part of it and I say, so let's agree on this. Let's have this conversation understanding this. I have a belief system and so do you. And he goes, I don't believe in anything. I'm like, no, you do. You believe in unbelief. And you can believe in the empirical scientific method. You can believe in in the metaphysical nature of the universe. You can go all different kinds of directions. I choose to believe 
My faith begins in a personal relationship with Jesus because without Jesus, I would not be here today because he saved my life. That's my subjective story. Here's what's interesting. People can argue with your arguments. They can't argue with your story. And if Jesus saved you, share your story. Because if you can argue really, really well, I'll tell you something. If somebody's smart enough to talk them into something, somebody smarter will come come along and talk them out of it. So use your story and just say, this is my experience. I live in this gap of faith between me. We can talk arguments all day long. If you need a list of resources, I'd be happy to give those to you. And, uh, but I think we start with the answer of this is who God is to me. This is what God has done for me. And then we can move, off of, we can move into the argument type of, uh, of conversation later on once we've built relationship. There's no substitute for relationship. My buddy and I have the most interesting conversations because I told him years ago, you can break the relationship, I never will. You can think I'm nuts, I don't care. I believe God brought us into this friendship and we're going to continue to talk. I've, and he has helped me in so many different ways. He probably affects the way that I preach in sermons more than anybody else in this community because he loves to try and wrap his head around this book that he has such a cool, fresh perspective on. And you can pray for him. And now he's in trouble. Are you going to hate that I said this? Hey, buddy. <laughs> All right. Go to the next one. In what ways does God reveal our spiritual gifts? When they manifest in our life, how can we be certain they're gifts and how can we grow them? Oh, well, that's a great question. Okay, 1027. All right. Um, in what ways does God reveal our spiritual gifts? I believe he reveals spiritual gifts through, 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 through a direct understanding of your operating in the gift and somebody else confirms it for you. Um, so one of my spiritual gifts is, I hope, <laughs> preaching and teaching. Um, that was confirmed a long time ago because if you read my report cards growing up, they all said the same thing. Grant is very verbal. Um, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I like to talk, but I'm an introvert. So that, you figured that out. Um, so, so God actually reveals your spiritual gifts through application. If you're a person who naturally wants to help people, you probably have the spiritual gift of helps. If you are, um, um, I have a friend who's sitting in the room right now. He has the gift of discernment. Every time we get together for coffee or lunch, he shares unique perspectives with me. He challenges my thinking and, and we spend time together and that way he has, I believe he has a gift of wisdom and discernment. And, 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 and so I've seen that gift. And so when it's confirmed through God and then through another person, that's a great way to get started. But when they manifest in our life, how can we be certain that they're gifts and how can we grow them? I'll say this. If the gift draws attention to you, you should probably question whether or not it's a real gift or not. If the gift turns you into a mirror that reflects the glory of Jesus through you, then you're on the right track and you move in the right, right direction. I would also say this experimenting with spiritual gifts is good. Try stuff. Just go out and try some different things. We actually have spiritual gift inventories that you can take to try and figure out what, what has God uniquely placed inside of me. Um, some of you have, 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 you know, you have the gift of administration. 
You can put boxes together. You think that way. Your brain just works strategically in that way. That's a God-given gift that the body, honestly, we need that strategically. So I would start with the spiritual gifts inventory. Then I would start actually experimenting with the gifts. And I would always remember this. If the gift begins to glorify you, wrong path. If the gift allows you to become more and more invisible because he must increase and we must decrease, then you're on the right track. But you're never going to know if you don't try. So last week, I got a letter from somebody that says, one of the spiritual gifts is prophecy. And they're freaked out because God gave them a word. God gave them a word for me. So they, they, I thought it was so beautifully done. They said, I'm new at this. They wrote it out in a letter. I'm new at this. Here's what I believe God is saying to you. I said, thank you very much. They gave it to me personally. I said, thank you very much. I said, here's what we're going to do. The Bible says we're supposed to test it. We're also supposed to subject it to wisdom. So I'm going to take it to a group of people that I love and trust. They're going to see this word. You did your job. You did your job. You brought the word forward. Now we're going to pray it through. If it is of God, it will be confirmed. If it's not of God, it's okay because you did what you were called to do, which is to be obedient and bring the word forward. So the spiritual gifts, we believe all of them are in activity today. We believe all of them are used in different places at different times. But um, I think experimenting with them is good as long as you're doing it under the right authority and under the right heart. I think it's good. And I would encourage all of you, find your gift and for the love of God, use it. I'm going to say that again and give you another opportunity. (laughs) Find your gift and for the love of God, use it. Some of you have been sitting here far too long, doing nothing. Love that you're here. Need you in the game. Come out of the stands and play. Let's run. Let's do this together. This is a team sport. Need you to actually use your gift. Because if you're not using your gift, you're cheating the family out of your gift. Knock it off. Help us out. Push in. Serve. Love. Administrate. Give. Prophesy. Preach. Whatever it happens to be, use your gift. And together, God will be glorified. That's a good question. Thank you so much. Okay, last one. I got three minutes. My wife has severe depression. What can I do to get her help? Um, so I would start with this. In the first, I believe the first taboo series we ever did, I talked about my own journey through depression and anxiety. And I would refer you back to that. If you need a link or whatever like that, I can get that for you. But it was my story of how I struggled with that that rain cloud that follows me everywhere. I talked about my journey of refusing help from a medical doctor who took a huge risk on a Saturday night and came up to me and said, I I think I can help you. He was here last night for church. Um, And I had to battle my own thing about medical help or medicinal help versus no medicinal help. I mean, I went through that whole journey. I would would refer you back to that because I think it'll give you a good place to start. Um, I think one of the best ways to get her help is, is, is to, to move closer, not away. People that struggle with depression often want to push people away to get away from the black cloud that follows them everywhere. Actually move closer. I think a medical diagnosis is really, 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 really important because there's chemistry involved in this whole thing. 
Okay, so walking alongside and just saying, can we start strategically moving forward? Then I believe there are spiritual questions that need to be answered as you're going along. It's a complete comprehensive move and you can invite them into it. You can't make them do anything. So you do need to understand. You can offer a hand. You can't make them take it. But once you offer the hand, leave it there. Leave it there. When they're ready, they'll grab it. They may not have any other choice. And in the meantime, pray that they'll trust you enough. So there's a spiritual component. There's a medical component. There's so many different components. But moving closer is unbelievably important. Um, If I can help you, personally walking alongside, we can connect you to, we have so many resources here available at the church to help you. You don't need to do this alone. So once again, this is family. And I, I'd encourage you, maybe afterwards, if you want to come forward and pray, we'd love to be able to do that. But we, we can come alongside and help because it is a journey. Sometimes it's a long one. We're out of time. It's 1034. Um, good questions. Good questions. Thank you for being the kind of church that's not afraid to do this. It's a little unnerving. I get this. Sometimes people hear what we do and they're just like, you do what? That's crazy. I'm like, no, I think it's just honest. I think it's just honest. So we're going to pray together and then we're going to kick loose. And uh, if you didn't hear anything else this morning, I hope you heard the words the Bible says a lot. Because there's the answers. And they're not always easy. They're not always easy. But they don't belong to us. They belong to him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this service. God, we pray for all of our campuses this morning. I thank you that that there are safe places all over this county where people can go with real questions. God, I pray for those who need an extra dose of grace today. Lord, maybe you, may you be with them and near them, close to their hearts. God, I thank you that there's not a single question that you didn't hear today. And I thank you that you're willing to provide answers. God, I pray that we would ask. Lord, we knock on the door asking for your help. May you touch us in unique and incredible ways today. Lord, bless my family as they go out. Lord, as they serve the light of the world, Jesus, and as they are the light of the world, the church, may they be ready with an answer this week if someone should dare to ask. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. And this is one of those weekends when things just kind of go unfiltered, uncensored. We've been doing a series called Seven Words That Can Transform Your Life. The words were thanks, yes, no, help, sorry, enough. And this week we're going to do ask because you can ask a question live and in real time right now. That's the number 360-285-3560. The reason we do this is pretty simple. We actually believe Christianity is supposed to be a conversation. Scripture says, come let us reason together. So that's what we want to invite you to do. I often question whether or not a monologue, which is what preaching is, uh, is the most effective way to have uh, communicate with people, especially in our modern context. And so every once in a while, we ditch the monologue, we have a dialogue 
You text in questions, I do my best to answer them. I do not know what's coming on the screen. There's no prep. It's just me, my Bible, and prayer. Some people say, that must be really lonely up there. And I'm like, actually not, because I got my whole spiritual family here, and the whole Trinity shows up every single time we do church, so that always works, and I think that's positive in the right direction. I do want to say this, um, not a scientist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not even a deep biblical theologian, if you want to be honest about it. I'm a, I'm a pastor, a regular person. Uh, if you cut me, I'll bleed. Uh, but if we enter into that understanding, we can't have comprehensive answers. It's impossible. So we try to put the only frame around it that I know how to, and that's a pastoral frame around it. We're family. And so we're just going to talk as openly, as honestly as we can. And I'm also going to say this, if you text in your question and we don't get to it, because we get a boatload of questions, like they just compile it in when we are, where we do this. If we don't answer your question, it doesn't mean it's not important. It just means we didn't have enough time to get to it. That's the reason we do small groups at Christ the King. So here comes my, my shameless plug, okay? If you're not in biblical community, you can't experience it that staring at somebody else's head for an hour a week. It just doesn't work that way. And so we want you to be in biblical community because if you've got a question, you need a family where you can ask that question. And it would be important for you to get the question asked. I think God gave you the question. It's important that you find an answer for it. So just because we don't get it here doesn't mean it's not important. Okay? All right. So now... We've had some heavy questions this weekend. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been sweating bullets. I'm tired. I think I lost about four pounds already. So <laughs> you guys are going to get the raw and filtered version because I got nothing left when it comes to filtering. So here we go. Let's see what shows up first. Okay, what do we got? Have you ever said anything dumb from the front? <laughs> like every week. <laughs> um, Okay, we actually got, we got a question like this, whether or not it ever had a verbal slip up in the last service. Um, this story, oh my goodness. So Saturday night, years ago, I'm preaching away and I'm using an illustration, a late night infomercial thing called easy push-ups. Have you seen those things? They were like these, these plastic things that you would do push-ups and it would change the wrist angle. It was supposed to make you buff in like seven minutes a day or something like that. And I was using these as an illustration. My wife bought me them. I never used them. And so didn't really help me a whole lot. And the phrase I was trying to say was big black plastic discs. Don't think about it too long. Um, and I missed one S. That's, I missed one S. And I thought I'm going to power through it. And, and, and actually what came out of my mouth next sounded like tongues. I went like, my brain was catching up. And Randy Borland, God bless his heart, our communications director actually took it and turned it into a ringtone for my phone, which I really appreciated. <laughs> And we were recording for the Ferndale venue at the time, and it was horrible, and the whole room pretended they didn't hear it, and then they all turned into fifth grade boys, and they started laughing and giggling, so we shut down the cameras, and I told everybody, I said, you guys think, you think I'm embarrassed because of the word that came out of my mouth, and I'm not. I said, I'm just embarrassed because my mom's in the second row, and she didn't even know I knew that word, so yes. I've said a lot of dumb things from the front. It comes with the territory, and anytime you want to give it a shot, I'll give you a microphone. Okay, so, awesome, let's go. Since it's now legal in Washington, what are your thoughts on marijuana? 
<laughs> I love, I love the sleep-in service. You guys are awesome. Um, okay, so um, <laughs> here it goes. Uh, God told us to enjoy creation. By enjoying it, I don't think he meant dry it, roll it, and smoke it. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I would say this. Just because it's legal does not mean that it's right. There's lots of things that are legal. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 says everything is permissible. Not everything is beneficial. Okay? It's permissible for all of you to go home today, grab a hammer from the shop, and whack yourself in the forehead with it. It's permissible. It's not beneficial to you. Okay? It's not beneficial. Um, I get this question a lot, actually, when it comes to the medical side of this whole thing. And this is where I would have to defer to the fact that God has used very godly people in the medical industry. And when you're under their care, there are certain benefits. There are certain benefits that can be used. So I'm not, I'm not going to make that argument. I'm going to talk about the fact that Scripture says that we're not to give the control of our mind over to anything. Okay? We're not supposed to give it. So especially on the recreational side of things. Using your own discernment with that is not wise. Now, believe me, I'm all about the right kind of medication under the right kind of covering. I think that's just wise and discerning. God gave us that kind of wisdom, and God bless all the doctors and nurses and medical practitioners in the room that help us with that kind of thing. I'm talking about when someone makes a decision on their own to hand control over and we could argue back and forth about whether it helps you or doesn't help you. Uh, we, we could roll that conversation for a long period of time. What I would say is this. God wants all of us to be of sound mind. That's his desire for us. He wants us to be of sound mind. And so I would say just because it's legal does not mean that it's beneficial for the people in the room. And I would encourage you to look at this through a biblical perspective and say, if God doesn't want me to be drunk with wine but to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, I would ask you to pray in the Holy Spirit whether or not it would be right for you to invite any level of intoxication into your body and into your mind and into your brain because God wants us to be sober-minded and filled with good judgment. And one thing that I've noticed about this is, is people say it doesn't affect them, but my response is usually, you say they're not, it's not affecting you, but you're talking in slow motion. So... <laughs> It does have an effect. We can have the brain chemistry conversation all that you want to. Um, but I would say once again, under the care of a medical doctor can be wise and discerning. Other than that, when you're making your own decisions with that, I would put it under the same category as, as don't allow yourself to be influenced by that. Instead, be sober-minded and allow the Holy Spirit to influence you and control your behavior. Okay? All right. There we go. Awesome. Let's go to the next one. How do you handle hearing everyone's stories without taking on their burdens? That's a good question. Um, first of all, it's an honor to hear your stories. When somebody emails me, normally my first line back is, thank you so much for trusting me with a little piece of your story. That, that, that's a sacred trust. So it's an honor to hear your story. It's been an honor over the last 20 years to be able to share my story here and you have been so gracious, kind, and patient with my own spiritual growth. So I'm just doing for you what you do for me every single week. So I appreciate that part of it. Um, when it comes to a burden of, of sin, when someone comes and, and, and 
vicariously will confess. I can't forgive sin, just so you know. <laughs> Only Jesus can do that. But sometimes people will come and share something. This is what happened. This is what I did. Um, years ago, there was a chaplain in our town named Bob Guthrie. Bob was kind of a legend here in town. And Bob shared this piece of wisdom with me. He said, Grant, I never let anybody else's sin bother me until it bothers them first. And that was helpful. That was really helpful. So when it comes to that, I have to make sure that I get out of the way. There's no, there's no substitute saviors at Christ the King Church. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And so what I normally do is, is I take that burden and sometimes they weigh me. I'm a bit of a feeler. If you didn't know that, um, ask, talk to your neighbor. They'll fill you in. Um, I'm a feeler, so I carry that stuff pretty heavy, but I have learned that I need to offload that. So the running joke with my friends who live in Wiser Lake, because I made a joke years ago that when I drive over the bridge to go home, I throw all the troubles that I have accumulated during the day in Wiser Lake. And sometimes they'll call me and say, hey, Grant, the lake's really high. You doing okay? Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. But I know this, the burdens, my burdens and your burdens, they only belong one place, and that's at the foot of the cross. Because only Jesus can solve that. Only Jesus can help. Only Jesus can answer. Only Jesus can do miracles. So I spend a lot of time with your stories at the foot of the cross talking to Jesus about them. I have a prayer journal and I filled it in. I was so thankful this morning, a lady named Eve came up. I've been praying for her son for about a year. And I love it when people come up and say, I just want, she came up and just basically, I want you to know my son is doing so well. I'm just, I love being able to check that box and change the, the tone from God, would you intervene in the situation to thank you that you're intervening in the situation. So um, I do my best to carry them and, and give them to the God. Um, my Bible says that the government will be on his shoulders. If God can handle the government of the universe, I think he can handle all of our stuff too. So I just give it to him. Okay. Good question. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. How do we respect the experience of people in marginalized groups, particularly LGBTQ, while still following the Gospels? We get this question a lot. And I would say that, that we do it always within the context of love because Jesus loved. Surrounding love on both sides are two tensions. There is grace and there's truth. And I believe you can hold and be loving towards a person who feels marginalized. Their experiences would cause them to believe they have been marginalized. I believe it's possible to love a human being when you keep your eyes on their soul. And every human soul has the fingerprints of God on it. Regardless of decisions they may be making, the fingerprints of God there. So I focus there. And then I hold in truth our whole intention, both grace and truth. The grace to say, I'm gonna love you and stay in this relationship no matter how long it takes. I'm your friend, I am with you, I will be with you, but I'm also gonna love you enough to tell you the truth. I don't know about you, there are sections of my Bible I don't like hearing. There are things that I wish Jesus didn't say. There are parts of the Pauline epistles that I struggle with on a daily basis. But just because I struggle with them doesn't mean they're not true. So we believe in the absolute authority of Scripture. I'll tell you, it's not politically correct to believe that, just so you know, okay? But we hold to the absolute authority of Scripture with the parts that we enjoy, the parts that we don't enjoy, the parts that cause us pain, and even the parts that may cause other people pain. But our job and our honor 
is, is to stay inside of the relationship. I have never seen anything good come out of a burned bridge. Ever. So we highly invest in the relationship. Especially with people who already feel ostracized and marginalized. When you reach a hand to someone like that, to me that's the hand of Jesus reaching. And I can do that while still holding to my biblical conviction and also the grace to stay in the conversation. So we have, um, I have, I have wonderful friends from the LGBTQ community, community who will say this to me. They'll say, Grant, we don't agree with where you stand biblically, but we both respect your conviction and love the fact that you stay in the relationship no matter what. If they choose to walk away, that's on them, but I'm not going anywhere. They've been in this community for a long time, and I believe that God is true. I believe he's gracious. I also believe he's just. I do believe God has standards, and there are things he says to me that I struggle with, just like people in this room, maybe struggling with other pieces. The key is whether or not we can stay humble, whether we can stay loving, and we can stay truthful at the same time. I think God is honored when we have those kinds of conversations. Um, The truth is, sin marginalized all of us all of us. And Jesus got his hands dirty with us. I believe we've been called to be that kind of agent for change and truth tellers and grace givers in this community for a very specific purpose. And so to me, it's just a great opportunity to be like Jesus. Grace and truth, both. You can't have one without the other. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next one. Got real quiet here. Do you have do you have any oh that's sweet? Yeah. I did not see that coming. <laughs> Actually, I think I do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let me tell you about that big guy that just hugged me. Um, Innocencio, he actually did that once before. I've been here for about a month, and I preached one morning, and I said something wrong. <laughs> and I came back the next week and had to ask you to forgive me for what I said. And uh, Innocencio jumped up on the stage and hugged me and said, I forgive you. So, love you. And thank you. Okay, there's that thing again. All right, let's keep going. If I don't pray, will God be mad at me? Well, there's a hard left-hand turn right there. Okay. um, 
I don't believe he'll be mad at you. I think he'll be sad that one of his children would choose not to have a conversation with a loving heavenly father. I think his heart would break because he wants to hear your voice. And so I would say no. You know, I grew up thinking God was either sad or mad 100% of the time. Most of it, 98% mad. Angry, frustrated, Fishbook's never going to get it right. When is he ever going to get his head straight? One day he'll get to this level of, of ownership. I mean, he'll finally going to figure it out. I always felt like he was mad. I always felt that his sadness revolved around his disappointment in my ability to be able to get to this sacred spot that everybody thinks they need to get to. Um, and instead, I, I, I made a discovery um, God is a God of righteous anger, burns against the sin that hurts his kids. But just like Pastor Brian preached last weekend about his baby, (laughs) there's nothing you could do that would make God love you any less. I mean, he is so enthralled with who you are as a person. So I would say um, not praying would not create anger in God. I think not praying would create a sadness because he so desperately wants to hear your voice. I'm a dad. When Braden or McKenna calls me, it just, it just melts me. I just, I just love to hear their voice. It just means something when I hear, hey, dad, or hi, daddy. It's just so unbelievably beautiful. So I would say this. Um, prayer is both talking to and listening to God. It's both sides of it. And maybe the only prayer you can, you can utter right now is, God, this is hard. He hears that. He acknowledges that. He loves to hear when it's hard. He also loves to hear when it's good. And developing those disciplines when life is in a sweet season will sustain you when life is in a hard season. So I would say that God's posture towards you is never one of, of, of I can't believe you're not praying. Have a quiet time. (laughs) At least cover the meals, right? I mean, (laughs) I just, I just don't think that's his posture. I think his posture is call upon me and I will answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things, but you got to talk to me. So that's how I'd answer that one. Okay. All right. What time is it? Okay. All right. Let's keep going. I live in a large family. Most of my parents' fights are about us kids. What should we do better as kids to help them not fight with each other? How can our family reconnect with each other? Okay. (laughs) Filter. Um, I'd really like to talk to your parents alone. I'm just telling you, honestly... um, First of all, I would say this. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's anything you can do better. Because maybe you're doing everything that you need to do, and maybe mom and dad are just being really, really human. So I would say this I would encourage you to pray for your mom and dad. Pray that they find each other, that their souls can be connected. Pray that, that Jesus would step into the center of their arguments. Because whenever we do that, we're better for it. I don't know about you, I fight different when Jesus is in the middle. 
because he keeps reminding me, you better not talk to one of my daughters that way, Grant. I'm a jealous daddy. You talk down to one of my girls, I'll hurt you. And so I think you need to pray for your mom and dad. I think you need to make sure that you're not owning something that you don't need to own. Because the last time I checked, they're the adults and they're supposed to act like it. I'm going to say that again. Maybe somebody can say amen. For the love of God, they should probably act like it because they're adults. And that doesn't mean they can't be real and have, have, have conflict. Everybody experiences conflict. But when it, what I read here is I read fear. Um, I think a way to, to reconnect with each other is to meet in that place of prayer and say, God, I need you to help my family and I need you to, to help reconnect. And I would also say this, I don't know how old you are. Um, some of the best wisdom I've ever received is from my children. Because God has given you, I'll tell you what, if you can answer this kind of a question, I think you have a great future in front of you. You might want to look into family therapy. I think you're awesome, okay? Um, but to speak truth, to speak truth and say, mom and dad, the Bible says as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what it says. So maybe you can be a voice of reason. Now, I would say that without, you, I don't want you to ever put yourself in harm's way, okay? Don't ever do that because you, you need to feel safe and secure where you are. But I would say the reconnection piece is sometimes God will give you an opportunity to speak truth. I'd encourage you to speak truth. And I love the fact that your heart is for your mom and dad and you want them to experience a place of peace. The coolest thing is this, Jesus said he was the Prince of Peace. So we're going to stop right now and actually pray that the Prince of Peace steps into the middle of your family and that God will hold you and protect you while you're navigating this, because I can imagine this is pretty tough for you. So we're just going to act like a family right now, okay? Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for the courage that it takes for someone to write out a question like this. God, I pray that they would bring their mom and dad to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, we need your help. God, I pray that you would touch both mom and dad's heart and, and Lord, that, that you would help them deal with conflict wisely. Lord, that they would learn that conflict is okay, but how they live that conflict out um, needs to be in a godly, honoring way. God, I do pray that you would reconnect this family and bring them together. Lord, it's going to take transformation, not information. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would provide a covering and that you would be the Prince of Peace for this family. God, would you protect the young person or child who wrote this question? May they speak truth when given opportunity. And may they know they have a spiritual family that will be praying for them now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. You know, all weekend long, I've been inviting people, if you wrote a question and you're feeling alone, to come up and talk to one of the prayer team people. I'm amazed how many people have come forward and say, hey, I, I was the question with cancer. I was the question with suicide. Um, you don't have to do this alone. That's why we're here, okay? So if you wrote it and you can, boy, we'd love to talk with you. We, we wanna help, okay? All right, let's keep going. Raising teenagers is scary. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay. 
What would you say to help parents trying to teach godly principles and accountability in this culture that offers a little moral compass for many of their peers? Boy, that's a great question. Um, so I would say this, the most important thing that you can do. Uh, my wife has this great, this great saying, parents, your job is twofold. You need to give them roots and wings. Some of you should write that down. Roots and wings. So you drive the roots down by modeling for them what good, healthy conversation with God is like. You welcome Jesus into the center of your family. You model what those conversations are like for them so they can drive their roots down into the ground so when the cultural winds blow, they don't shift. They don't move. So you press that down, and that's the godly principles and accountability piece that comes along with that. So you give them roots. They're not going to read their Bible if you don't read, their bi- if you don't read your Bible. They're not going to pray if you're not going to pray. You've got to model that for them. In fact, I would encourage you more than modeling, invite them into the conversation. Talk about it. Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8 talks about imprinting this on the hearts of your children. That's your job even when it's not popular, even when they don't want to. You keep asking questions. You keep the dialogue going. You initiate the conversation. For the love of God, you're the parent. So actually parent them. So you give them roots, and then you give them wings, and you understand at some point you do need to let them go. Some of, par- some of the parents in the room, you need to hear this. At some point, you need to let them go. <laughs> let them go. Don't tie a line to their foot and hold on. you actually got to release them. And I know it's painful. It's hard. We've been through that. We've been living through that. So you teach godly principles and accountability. And I'm going to say this. A part of teaching godly principles is to reinforce what you know to be true over and over and over again. Because parents, I'm going to tell you something. If you deflect or bob and weave this responsibility, the world will be more than happy to fill in the blanks for your kids. People say all of the time, Grant, you religious people, you're just trying to brainwash your kids. And I say, absolutely, because if I don't, you will. You will reinforce your culture, your value system on them over and over and over again. It's being reinforced by the media. It just keeps piling in on top of them. I want to give my kids a fighting chance. So we come back to that foundation over and over and over again. And we need to understand the moral compass is spinning right now. So we need to be able to give them good, solid reasons for making solid moral choices. Here's something that I hear from parents all the time. Well, I don't want to tell them what I did. Really? You don't have enough courage to share a wound that you did to yourself so that your kid doesn't have to experience that wound down the road? There's appropriate levels of disclosure, but parents were mute. We need to grow up and speak truth and share real conversation with our kids because if you don't have that conversation, somebody else will for you. So you invite them into the conversation. Like, well, I gave up that up a long time ago with his distance and all the rest of it. Start over. You know that word, sorry? Parents, we can use that with our kids. I was wrong. I missed the mark. I'm sorry that we did this. I want to start a conversation again. Will you trust me enough to, 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 to do a do-over? 
I think that's godly. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, will not, will not depart from it. It could be a long process, but I'll tell you what shortens that process is godly, honest, authentic, transparent conversation. God talks to us. We should talk to our kids exactly the same way. That's a great question. Thank you so much for being able to be a part of that. That's great. All right. Um, 12, 12. Okay. If your significant other is not a believer, should you end your relationship? Um, so in first and second Peter, two different locations there, Peter actually talks about what happens in that situation. And being an agent of grace is important in those particular contexts. So um, should you end the relationship for the simple fact that they're not a believer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now we talked, um, remember we did the taboo series. I did a, a message on divorce. We called it a regrettable permission and God had very specific standards with regards to a biblical grounds for divorce. And even then he pleaded with people, if you can find grace in your situation, find grace for it. But just because they're not believing does not mean you should end the relationship. Now, I don't know the pieces around it. I'm not talking about if you're in an abusive relationship, but if they don't know Christ, could it be that that's why God put you there? Amen. And you to reach out and love and be honoring and have the conversations as you're going along. Like, I don't know your context here, but I would say just because your spouse is not a believer, that's not biblical grounds for ending the relationship. Okay? Now, we could go into a whole other stream over here about all different kinds of stuff, but I would say, I would say no to that. I think you need to be faithful in the relationship. Now, if they're stepping outside of the biblical grounds of, of marriage and relationships, then that's, that's a different conversation. But simply the fact that they're unbelieving, I don't believe qualifies for divorce or stepping outside of the relationship. Now, I would ask this, if it's a godly relationship, then you need to continue to be godly. Amen. That makes sense? Okay. I wish I knew more of the context. And if you'd like to give me more context after the service, I'll be standing up here at the front. I'd like to unpack it more. I feel like I'm not understanding all of it, so I don't want to do any harm, but hopefully you hear my heart and that whole thing. I'll be right up here. Okay. Without a microphone, we can talk. Okay, last question, because this is 1214. What are you needing prayer for right now? Oh, you want to get personal, huh? Um, <laughs> this is really interesting, because my wife is in the service right now, and she's probably sitting there going, I wonder if he's going to be honest, or... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need prayer for a good day and um, no. Uh, two summers ago in the Genesis series, I discovered something that I'd never seen in scripture before. There was reading the dimensions of the ark, which I've never really paid attention to. And I noticed something. There were no sails and no rudder. Just a big barge and it could go wherever God wanted it to go. I felt like God spoke to me in that moment and said, Grant, I need you to trust me because we're going to go without a rudder. And I don't know about you, but I like controlling and I like steering. <laughs> and not having a rudder, honestly, I'll rip boards down off the ark and build my own. Like if you give me enough time. 
But God has been just saying very strongly in this last days especially, okay, you need to trust me. Stop trying to build your own rudder. Just let me blow the ark where I want it to go, not where you want to steer it. So you can pray that I don't build my own rudder, that I don't try and steer with my hands, (laughs) and that I actually follow the wind of the Spirit as He directs where we're supposed to go next. We're in a crazy season right now. Uh, We planted a new church in Blaine last two weekends ago. Um, That's actually scary because it means we release people all the time. Um, We've got lots of movement going on. Transitions are just a part of life. People come, they go, they move back and forth. And, And this culture is moving in so many different directions and trying to discern what does God want said. Um... Let me tell you as we close what we're going to do next. Um, I'm actually going to preach a request from Laurel. I asked Laurel, I said, what do you think I should preach on? At some point, this was like a while ago. And she said, people need hope. So we're going to do a series for three weeks called My Hope is Built. And we're going to build our hope together. So I'm going to listen to my wife because she's the wisest person that I know. But in, in, in having hope, um, in having hope, I only know, I, I keep reading the scripture and over and over again, it keeps saying my hope is in the Lord. I'm done putting my hope in politics. I'm done putting my hope in a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic that the world tells me is where I find security. I'm done putting my hope in bumper sticker answers that Christians think are funny. I'm going to put my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I'll be honest with you, right now, I feel like I'm grabbing for a rudder and it's not there and I think that's okay. So you can pray that I will listen to the wind of the Spirit and be faithful and obedient to wherever God tells us to go. I think that's probably the best plan forward. Okay? 12, 18. Let's pray, and then if you need prayer, the team will be up here across the front. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you. Thank you for the questions for the people that are behind them. I thank you so much that you have such better answers than I do. God, I thank you for the word of God. I pray that people will have heard the words the Bible says more than anything else. God, I pray for those who may have a question or a story and they need courage to receive prayer or to go to their small group, whatever it is. God, help us to be a good family right now. God, thank you so much for an honest conversation back and forth, and I thank you for the honor and the privilege it is to be a small part of what you're doing here in Whatcom County and at Christ the King. God, may we all go rudderless this week, Then would you take us 
where only you can take us. I pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.